Welcome to the Aquas Podcast, conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Aquas Podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to the Aquas Podcast, do hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so that you're kept up to date whenever we drop new podcasts and they're dropping pretty frequently at the moment. So I said, do hit the subscribe button. ESG has been on my mind, environmental society and governance investing. So investing with sustainability in mind. And it kind of sprung from a conversation that I had with Bob Quinn, our investors advocate, uh, when I was kind of saying that this was one of the big themes in the asset management industry. And he expressed some doubts about whether it actually was effective, whether it really meant anything or was just a marketing ploy. So that got me thinking. And so we put together this short series of podcasts focused around ESG. This is the first one. It's with Bob himself. And this is what I call the before episode, asking Bob, does he believe in ESG? And as you're going to find out pretty shortly, he has a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. So a lot of reasons why it's not one of the items close to the top of the agenda when he's speaking face-to-face with his retail investors. So I want to understand what his concerns were um, and what his view of ESG was and and whether it was for shifting. After that, then we've got podcasts from the other side of the fence. So we've got one with Tara O'Reilly, who's a partner in the funds team in Arthur Cox, and she takes us through the regulatory changes that are on the way to make the ESG regime more robust and hopefully more believable. Then we also talk with the guys in Indos, that's Bill Prue and Victoria Gillespie, who talked to us about ESG from a firm's perspective and an advisory firm's perspective, the kind of things that in practice have to be done to get uh, firms and, and funds up to the right place when it comes to ESG and ESG compliance. After all that, we're going to revisit with Bob and see, is he now a believer? Does he buy into the movement? Does he believe that the steps taken are sufficient? Or does he remain with some doubts of what they are, what more would need to be done to encourage people like him, who remember is at the coalface with retail investors whose money is actually being deployed in these funds or not, and see if he's convinced. So that's the background. That's what we're hoping to do. Now, I said this episode is the before episode with Bob. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello, Bob, and welcome back to the Equest podcast. Great to have you. How are you and the good people and retail investors of County Kildare? We're all keeping fine here. Uh, we're, we're thankful. The fact is we haven't gone into level five, which was being talked about more recently. So yeah, yeah, life is, life is I suppose, a little bit more confined uh, given the, the time of the year we're in and uh, everything related to COVID. But it also means it's an opportunity to uh, maybe reach out and, uh, and create more meaningful relationships via Zoom, if we're not all Zoom fatigued at this point in time. Well, we probably are. We probably are. But it's also an opportunity to think about your world, to think about the environment, to think about society, and to think about governance. Yeah. Do you like that segue? I tell you what, that was beautifully done, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) So the topic for this uh, podcast is ESG, environment, society, and and governance investing. So investing with a a focus on on firms and on on companies that have this slant to their business are are somehow good for the world. Um, And the reason I'm I'm especially interested to get your views, Bob, is because obviously 
you're a guy who deals with the retail investor and, and who uh, advises and guides and influences how they decide to deploy their, deploy their investment and deploy their mm. uh, So I'm interested to know your views on this uh, initiative and this kind of, I don't know, fashion and fad is the word, but certainly a very hot topic at the moment because uh, I, I often feel that when these initiatives come out of Europe, they seem to be driven by legislators who know what's best for the investor and tell, oh, this is what investors want. Mm. And I don't know that they always actually ask investors what they want. What do investors want? Well, I think they'd like a bit of capital protection and they'd probably like a guaranteed return. So if you yeah. come up with something like that, investors would pile into it. Remember the SSIAs? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mm. there, there have been predecessors where it's kind of the legislators tell the investors what they want. And then, and then nothing happens because the investors didn't actually want it. I'm thinking of regimes like European long-term investment funds and social, uh, social entrepreneurship funds and venture capital. Yeah, yeah. Or I just wonder if this is in that space. So I'm interested, Bob. Do you believe in ESG? Um, not where we are right now. Uh, ESG is, as far as I'm concerned, um, it's a little more than a marketing gimmick. And um, I, I say this with a lot of uh, caveats because um, ESG as a concept, I overwhelmingly believe in, but in how it's been positioned and presented in 2020 and over the last few years, I don't believe the hype, quite frankly. So do you then, when you're dealing with your clients, for example, do clients ever ask you about this? So I'm always hearing, oh, you know, all investors want, everybody's on about ESG. Is that what your experience is? If ESG in its strictest sense was available tomorrow, and I positioned it in such a way that I said, look, Mr. or Ms. Client, uh, we have this ESG fund. It's going to allow you to use your capital to support these types of uh, initiatives, which is good for the environment, you know, from a governance perspective and all that type of stuff. If it came with cast iron guarantees that it was going to make planet earth a better place for all stakeholders. I have no doubt that 100% of my client base would jump at us. No question about that. However, on occasions, and it is relatively rare, clients will specifically seek out an ESG fund. And it may be something that they read in the business post or the, the, the FT or whenever it might be. And there is an awful lot of chatter about ESG over the last while. However, I do not have a sense of conviction yet. I am not confident that what I'm being told by BlackRock or Morningstar, or whoever it might be, that I can hang my hat on this being a purely ESG fund as we're led to believe is, is out there right now. For instance, the first half of 2020, uh, net inflows into ESG funds uh, hit around $21 billion. It's huge. And uh, that, that's, that's even, I think, more than it was in 2019 alone. So we can see that there is a, an overwhelming embrace for this type of way of doing business. But we're off the belief then, or we're led to believe that shareholders' economic interests and the social good always harmonize over the long run. That's not necessarily the case either, because can we actually look at how companies are incorporated in the States, for instance? Most of them have an overwhelming mandate to put shareholders' interests ahead of stakeholders' interests. 
And if you look at teasing that out, and when it comes along to investing in, you know, oil wells or fracking or wherever it might go, that is that company CEO going to put the stakeholders' needs first or the shareholders and by proxy his or her own remuneration first? And it's as simple as this. What we can see with corporate America right now, and it's been this way for decades, is shareholder needs come before stakeholder needs. So I know uh, Larry Fink, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know Larry Fink, I should rephrase, um, who is the CEO of BlackRock, which uh, many of your listeners know is a huge um, investment house. And when it comes down to um, how he positions what BlackRock is doing, he says that last year BlackRock voted against or withheld votes from 4,800 directors at 2,700 different companies. But this was written in an open letter to CEOs just recently. But my question is, but for what reason did you withhold votes? So it is one line within a, a relatively long letter to CEOs where he makes a statement, but it's a statement that I look at and read with utter skepticism. Oh, well, we withheld votes. Okay, it's in a letter which is talking about ESG as, as uh, an investment proposition, but it's not necessarily stating that the reason why we withheld votes was because they weren't doing enough. These companies weren't doing enough on sustainability, for instance. Right. So that's kind of where I am in relation to my skepticism in relation to ESG at this point in time. Okay, so let, let, me, let me, I suppose, clarify that we're not beating up on any one individual or any one asset management firm, but as you end, you remain to be convinced that firms who make investments so are really take ESG that seriously, that it's not just a marketing tool, that the firms, that the companies being invested in are run, in the, run for the profit of their shareholders rather than stakeholders. That's exactly. the case. How is that going to change? Yeah. So that... When you look at ESG, the companies already take and invest investors and asset managers already take environmental and governance concerns into account, and um, I guess societal as well. So actually, the ESG movement isn't doing anything that was wasn't already being done anyway by 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 most firms when they're selecting their investments. Is that a kind of a summary? Yeah, put beautifully. Yeah, that's absolutely it. So ESG is simply at this point in time, it's a marketing label that uh, fund managers and uh, fund providers have actually grasped onto. There will always be alignment between, I suppose, uh, various different, uh, let's call it tax incentives. Uh, let's look at the Paris Accord being, you know, the, the, the US government opting back into it or whatever it might be, that when it comes along to how uh, how we're moving in relation to climate change. Um, you're going to see companies that will naturally get on board because, for instance, one small example, if climate change means that it's going to be more difficult to grow certain types of um, uh, uh, food products in the future, that's going to lead to great, uh, uh, great, great uncertainty. So uncertainty is something that, from a futures perspective, we need to actually try to deal with insofar as we can. 
So everyone's interests are aligned in ensuring that we have continuity into the future in relation to feeding our planet and feeding our people and whatever, whatever else it might be. It impacts on interest rates and inflation and, and, and. So like the cars on the stick is not necessarily uh, boardrooms in corporate America saying, you know what, maybe we've actually gone too far and we're putting planet Earth in jeopardy. They couldn't give a damn, quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned. But what, what they're responding to is how the world is inevitably changing based on and backed up by scientific uh, data. And they're responding to ensuring that the future remains somewhat certain. Because in an uncertain world, it will, if there's major shifts in financial capital, then nobody knows how that's going to play out in time. So, so it's fair to say that you have doubts, you're, you're, you're not convinced by ESG, and therefore I assume when you engage with your clients, it's not something that you are promoting or especially guiding them towards if you don't believe it in, in it yourself. So what yeah. are the, the features or the changes that you would want or need to see in ESG funds or managers who, asset managers who say that they're very ESG focused or uh, what would they need to do that actually there's something in there? Well, there's a couple of things. ESG should be driven by respective governments and consumer behavior, uh, not necessarily boardrooms and corporations, because there is an inherent conflict. Between, you know, if we're deferring uh, ESG uh, to, to uh, boardrooms and corporations, that's not necessarily, uh, I don't think, where we want to be long term. So in the first instance, putting the fund uh, providers up there on a pedestal, I don't think is necessarily a wise thing to do. Number two, ESG as a concept is something that we've latched onto in more recent years. But ESG with the way the world is, is uh, developing. And if there is commitment as, as, um, as a national and international government level, then ESG shouldn't necessarily be a tag in its own right. This is simply how we should be moving with how the world adapts to climate change. And even right down to uh, more local fund providers, if you like, in Ireland, the challenge we have is um, the three areas of energy, transport and agriculture, account for around 72% uh, for carbon emissions in this country. So you'd even like to see, well, how exactly are the fund providers going to going to get around or deal with or, or assist in reducing that number from 72% down considerably in time. And that's not necessarily going to be driven by, again, boardrooms uh, feeling that the, the weight of responsibility of, of doing their part for the world. So, so back to stakeholder versus shareholder responsibility as well. One thing that I would love to see is how companies are, are actually incorporated and what's written into their company constitutions in relation to shareholder or stakeholder obligations and responsibilities. Because if we gave the shareholder a back seat in favor of the stakeholder, that in my world would be a game changer. And what are your, what are your views in greenwashing? Uh, is this part of, 
your I, I guess your overall feeling towards ESG, you're you're not convinced that it's more than a nice label or a marketing ploy, um, and that it could be used by by businesses or providers to greenwash to put them portray themselves as being yeah. environmentally and societally and governance driven than they actually are. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, again, look, if you want to go a little bit closer to home on a, a retail um, product perspective, we have green mortgages. What exactly is a green mortgage? Well, if you, if you, if you own a house that has an energy rating of B3 or above, it varies from sort of mortgage provider to mortgage provider for the few of them that are in it. But so it's something that I already have. I haven't gone out and actually necessarily gone about buying a so-called energy house, a green house, if you like, but I'll get a discount on my mortgage. But the respective lender in question is arguably, arguably doing nothing at their end to actually support a greener environment. So again, when you look at just how things are positioned and how things are labeled, I'm looking at it from the perspective of, well, we have marketing material here. I have an ESG fund. I have a green mortgage product. But what exactly difference is this going to make to uh, planet Earth, if we want to go that wide again, to the product which is actually being promoted? One thing uh, we're, we're careful about here from um, advising an investor on where to place their money is two things. What's the likely return? And are you supporting something which is in direct conflict with your own personal uh, uh, set of beliefs? So for instance, the arms trade is something that the companies we deal with here have no uh, input whatsoever or engagement with the arms trade. So you're not gonna be supporting sort of uh, um, uh, some sort of uh, uh, Middle East uh, army or, or whatever it might be. But we just need to gain a sense of perspective here. Just because you tell me it's ESG doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's uh, uh, something which is going to change the world because of the decisions you made in your boardroom. Okay, so fair to say, Bob, you have plenty of questions and doubts. And actually, the one that kind of resonates most for me is um, maybe and pushing this and, and putting this on investment managers is making a song and dance about three factors that asset managers already take into account. So you're making a song and dance and making a, a, a product out of something that managers are already doing. And the question isn't actually, what do you, how do you take ESG into account when you make an investment decision? The question is, who isn't taking this into account when they make an investment decision? Because it's, it's pretty fundamental. Uh, and, and so actually you're, you're dressing up something that they're already doing and presenting it as something that investors want. And it actually it's something that should already and is already being done and maybe doesn't merit the attention that uh, is being given to it. It doesn't, if, if it spreads so far that it actually has changed consumer behavior and the people start going, oh, what's ESG? Like this podcast, and, and I know you have a podcast you do specifically talking about ESG and people are listening in going, hmm, right, well, okay. Uh, the, the, the companies that make up your investment portfolio, what exactly, who are they? Uh, what are their label laws? Uh, or how do they engage with employees? And uh, what about the impact on the environment? 
Like if it gets out to a wider audience where ESG being pushed by the fund companies gets out to a wider audience and people then start in turn asking questions in relation to how they engage with companies and where they spend money and what kind of cars they buy and what types of homes they live in and their own consumer behavior, that when consumer behavior changes, one thing is absolutely certain is companies will respond to a change in consumer behavior. So the only company I'd look at uh, that has gone out with something that consumers weren't looking for uh, was, was Apple when it launched their, um, their iPhone back in 2008 or whatever it was. People weren't necessarily looking for it, but we've embraced it uh, wholeheartedly ever since then. But for the most part, consumer behavior evolves. Companies identify changes in consumer behavior and therefore they tailor and adjust their products and services to engage with uh, uh, this, um, this evolving consumer behavior. So if part of these conversations and part of this marketing states that consumer behavior is changing because of us, then there's no downside there whatsoever. But this idea that we can come along and say, hey, Bob, you're my financial planner. I have a million quid in my pension that I want to ensure goes into an ESG fund. Can you give me something that comes with cast iron guarantees that this investment portfolio will support nothing other than pure definition of ESG. And at this point in time, I cannot give my clients a cast iron guarantee that I can get that fund for them. Yeah, I think you've got it absolutely right there, Bob. I think this whole movement only succeeds uh, if market discipline is the, is the driving force here. So we all know money talks and BS walks. That's it. Companies cannot engage in fracking and whatever to, that is, damages the environment irrespective because yeah. investors will not invest in their company and asset managers will not deploy the trillions of assets under management that they have in companies that are poor when it comes to their track record. And if investors just won't take it, just won't buy it, then yeah. you will see the boardroom shift because nobody's going to invest in their company and their share price is down. And now it hits home, and now it's a reality, and now I get off my backside and do something about it. But if it's only a nice to have for a label on a fund uh, and doesn't make any real difference, no, their, their obligations are to turn a profit uh, and everything else comes after. That, that's it. Now, there, there is one thing just to mention to you as well, Danny. There, there is an appetite, at least anecdotally at my end, there is an appetite for investors to contribute maybe some of their portfolio into let's call them innovative mom and pop type of um, companies that have a focus on uh, environmental more so than the s or the g part of esg if you like that they are the innovators they are the entrepreneurs they are the creators of new products and new thoughts and new ways of doing business fully focused on environmental challenges uh, for, for the years ahead. And smaller companies and possibly startups that invariably come with considerably higher risk are having difficulty getting access to funding because they're unproven and untested. But I know uh, from speaking to my client base of investors that I know there are clients that would be willing to give some of their portfolio um, to these type of companies if a structure could be put in place 
where you ensure that the governance of the funds and, uh, and the opportunity to maintain your capital uh, long term, whatever about uh, making a healthy return on us, that if you're at the cutting edge and you can see how your money is actually having a direct impact on changing environmental issues for the better, there is an appetite out there from an altruistic perspective, if nothing else, to actually contribute to those type of companies. But as of yes, we haven't necessarily come up with a structure that protects all stakeholders involved in that particular type of uh, um, structure. And that delivers what it's supposed to deliver, just in terms of you know being properly invested. The return, I guess you can't guarantee, but at least that you know it's that's what it says in the tin, as they say. Exactly, exactly. Because we need these, these creators, these innovators coming through the ranks as well. It can't all be about big business because big business doesn't necessarily produce the next big global innovation. It could start in somebody's uh, box room, as we're all used to working out of over the last six months. And uh, there's, some, there's some amazing I've seen firsthand over the last uh, few weeks and months in particular with one or two organizations that I'm involved with, that there was some hugely interesting stuff uh, in people's heads, but not necessarily uh, being pursued uh, from an enterprising perspective because capital is, is in short supply for unproven, untested uh, innovations, if you like. But rest assured that with uh, people's commitment to ensuring that um, uh, our, our planet is protected in the future, there's an awful lot of people really interested and motivated in making their mark in a positive way in, in um in climate change issues. And uh, I've no doubt that a structure will become available for investors to put the money into maybe uh, firms, uh, companies, individuals that are closer to home that we can actually almost um, sponsor, if you like, and, uh, and have some sort of involvement with what these companies are doing. Well, I'm glad to hear that lockdown has been good for the creation of ideas. It certainly seems to have been good for the creation of babies. <laughs> yeah yeah true uh let's wrap it up there bob so very interested to get those views from you about you know esg and and, and the perspective of somebody who's at the front the forefront in terms of dealing with investors the, the ones who are who are supposed to be uh putting their their cash where their their amounts are so um what we're going to do now is that we're going to sort of Take you through, Bob, some of the these developments at European level and making their way into Irish level at, at a regulation and a practical level uh, around ESG to try and address that, that have kind of anticipated the types of concerns that you and, and people like you would have around, say, greenwashing and that. And see if you, once you've heard that and you've, you've kind of, um, you've seen what is proposed and coming in tracks, whether that would actually shift you say, gosh, no, ESG is great and the, my concerns have been addressed and I am going to yeah. actively, you know, make this part of the conversation with investors. Or if it falls short of that, why and where would it need to do more uh, to kind of allay the questions? That yeah, like that, Danny, I am certainly keeping an open mind on this. I, uh, this is not a, a final opinion on ESG, if you like. It's, it's a constantly under review and evolving sort of mindset in relation to ESG. I don't buy the hype right now. I love to believe that what's being put out there and how things are changing in time, that when it comes along to ESG as a concept, I hope that I can fully buy into it. I'm looking to fully buy into it, but the question remains, is it being greenwashed, as you said, 
which I suspect it is, or is it something that is is uh, uh, something that is uh, you know like Ron Seal? It does exactly what it says on the tin. What a cliffhanger to leave our podcast listeners on. <laughs> there. We're going to catch up in another episode once we've been through this process of, of looking at the various bits and pieces that are there to address the questions and see if you believe then, Bob. But in the meantime, thanks very much for joining me on the Quest Podcast. Very much appreciate your time and your, your insights and contribution. Uh, thank you to our podcast listeners for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on the Quest Podcast. You've been listening to the Aquas Podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.